Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The big news of the day, Andrew Scheer resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. Let's bring in Peter Griff, professor of political science, McMaster University. He's with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Uh, surprised that uh, that Andrew Scheer has resigned? Uh, not entirely. Uh, I mean, clearly there was a lot of movement inside his party to ask him to step down. And so he must have been looking to uh, the spring's leadership review in April and asking himself that even if he managed to win in the sense of you know, getting more people saying he should stay on than not, uh, that he would come out greatly weakened. You know, if he didn't have the support of 80 or 90 percent of the delegates at the end of the day, would he have the moral authority to lead that party into the next election? And I think he, he ultimately decided he didn't want to do that. And maybe also, uh, you know, with this recent news about Conservative Party funds being used to pay for his kids' uh, private school education, he also saw that to the extent that he had sold himself to Canadians as, you know, a kid who grew up and his family, you know, didn't have a car and he lived in a row house, um, that sort of narrative wasn't going to work so well because most Canadians at the end of the day, uh, you know, don't get money from their employers to send their kids to private schools. So uh, maybe also he, he had a hard time seeing how he would brand himself coming out of some of these revelations. It seemed uh, as early as last week, he was earlier in the week, he was doubling down. There was actually some sort of uh, uh, of Internet movement uh, that was, oh, if, if we could even use the word movement, that was uh, campaigning for him. Uh, this after the fact that, uh, you know, post-election, the progressives were thinking, my goodness, this isn't the guy. And then shortly after that, the opposite end of the party uh, uh, questioned his leadership. Uh, was, did it, was that just sort of a Hail Mary, what we saw last week? I mean, I think in a situation like uh, Andrew Scheer was in, you have to, you have to, if you can't take a moment to not be campaigning. And so, you know, you really you throw yourself forward as best you can. But, I mean, presumably as he did that, he realized he wasn't getting the support that he thought he would or people he, he felt he was sure he could count on were hemming and hawing and not giving him the kind of full-throated endorsements he wanted. So I think part of it is when you lo- launch yourself into a campaign and you notice no one's walking behind you, uh, maybe it's a time to to think again about what you want to do in the next coming months. Uh, what would it have been like behind closed doors for him, especially once, you know, again, he, he seemed to represent a certain portion of the party. Uh, as I mentioned before, post-election, uh, the progressives said he wasn't the guy, but at least it looked like his base was sticking with uh, him. And then they seemed to turn uh, their back on him. How come, do you think? Would there be someone else within the party that would, you know, better represent their views? Well, I guess that's what we have to come to. I mean, certainly last time out, uh, he beat uh, Maxime Bernier just by a hair. I mean, who ultimately maybe would not have been seen as a great choice in retrospect. Uh, Kevin O'Leary was also a big player in that campaign, uh, you know, didn't really take off politically. So it will be an issue for the Conservative Party who they can find to replace him. But, you know, that wasn't the question. I think for the question for a lot of the Conservative Party members was... Was this someone who could grow? Um, he didn't seem to grow where he needed to grow. He grew in, in Alberta and in Saskatchewan, but in the GTA, he in fact went backwards compared to Harper in 2015. And that was, you know, Stephen Harper who had to wear 10 years of government decisions, some of them unpopular. Um, so in that context, uh, it wasn't clear how he was going to make a change. And certainly in the the early days after the campaign, he did nothing really to respond to the sense of loss and anger within the conservative ranks uh, or to give any kind of sense of how you do things differently going forward to have more successful results. So what happens now? 
Well, presumably the Conservative Party executive gets uh, together and they read their constitution, and presumably uh, it's in the interest of the Conservative Party to have a leader in place uh, as soon as possible. So they may be looking to see if they can shoehorn an election, a, a leadership election in between now and their April convention. Uh, if not, they'll probably find a way to you know, change the dates of that convention or move around the leadership race so that they can have it you know, by midway through next year, because clearly they want a leader in place so that they can credibly uh, threaten to pull down the, the Liberal government. Uh, but also, you know, a leader is important in uh, raising money. And so having someone who's going to be the face of the party going into the next election is, is very important in terms of rebuilding that party's finances. Although, uh, as parties go, they're the ones that, that have the least work to do, uh, being the richest of the parties. Um, there was talk that if this had stayed the course, that there would uh, there could be challenge to the leadership in April, and if this was going to happen, this would have been decided uh, then. Uh, now you're you're saying that this could very well happen between now and then. Well, I mean, I think uh, you know, once the leader is gone, you want a new one in uh, as quickly as possible. So, Time, time's a wasting, so just get it done, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read the Conservative Party Constitution lately in terms of the specific procedures for choosing a leader and how much time you need ahead of that. So, you know, when the cutoff is for people to become members, it will be presumably a one-member, one-vote election, as in previous times. Although, uh, you know, nevertheless, done on a riding-by-riding basis. So. I think they have the infrastructure in place, but uh, again, I think April is a bit tight in terms of setting up rules, getting everyone on the same page, uh, but they presumably wouldn't want to go too much past that either. Um, wh- what? Uh, how will the Prime Minister handle this? Well, I mean, I think for Justin Trudeau, every day that Andrew Scheer stayed on and got challenged from within his own party was a good day. <laughs> it was a day that the Conservatives yeah. weren't going to be effective in in asking questions of him. Uh, you know, when Andrew Scheer would get up and ask him a question, you know, in the back of people's minds would be, well, is that guy going to hang around? It doesn't seem like he has the support of his party. So for I think for Justin Trudeau, it means that he's likely to be facing a more competent and dangerous opposition a bit sooner than he anticipated. Uh, but it does mean that he can get through this year and this budgetary season uh, without a real strong presence in the opposition in terms of the leader of the opposition. And so he gets he gets into his second year, I think, without really being challenged uh, politically by the Conservative Party. Uh, we have a quick clip here of Andrew Scheer, a piece of uh, his resignation speech. This was a decision I came to after many long, hard conversations with friends and family over the past two months since the election campaign. This has been an incredible challenge for our family to keep up with the pace that is required to lead a caucus and a party into a general election. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, what What's next for Andrew Shear? do you think now, Peter? Uh, well, I suspect you'll... Did we lose Peter? Uh, what's next for Andrew Shear? Uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, he can have that seat for life if he wants it. I mean, it's a very safe seat. So mm. I think for him, it's to decide, is he happy to, if you like, play a Joe Clark role and be second fiddle to a new leader? Uh, or does he, you know, serve out his term, presumably, and then move on to other things? What those would be is unclear. He he hasn't had a very uh, big career before he became a politician, Uh but presumably he could find a way and know that he'd have a parliamentary pension in his back pocket when, when the time came. So, uh, I mean, I think the, the, the future is open, but unlike some uh, party leaders who stepped down where there was a 
you know, they had a law degree or they had some uh, previous experience that might make them interesting for future work. Andrew Shear doesn't have a whole lot on his CV to, to point to a next step. You could go back to insurance, I guess. If he uh, completed the exams. <laughs> Sorry, I have to do some follow-up work. Uh, how does the party move forward in this interim? Well, I mean, I suspect they, I mean, the Conservative Party is uh, the party that's best able to raise money. So I suspect the biggest issue for them in the short term is coming up with rules for this campaign, knowing that the people setting up the rules are doing that, looking a bit at who the potential candidates are. But I think really the the Conservative Party turns inwards for the next six months. And I think a big challenge for them will be to to decide whether they want to repeat what they did last time. You know, where he had a leadership campaign that was really about everyone saying the same things and catering uh, to parts of the party that probably weren't very reflective of what the broader Canadian electorate wanted. And so can they find a way of choosing uh, a leader that can actually be more saleable uh, to Canadians, or do they insist uh, that, that it be a leader that responds in a very kind of narrow ideological basis to you know some specific parts of the Conservative Party around things like, uh, for instance, gun ownership, uh, uh, carbon taxes and the like? Who will line up to replace Andrew Scheer? Will we hear from them before the end of the afternoon? Uh, I suspect you, you generally don't want to do that while the corpse is still warm. <laughs> um, but uh, clearly uh, campaigns have been you know, getting prepared in the, in the weeks ahead of this. And so I suspect within about you know, 10 to 50, well, again, I guess we are coming up to uh, the holiday season, but probably first week of January, uh, we'd begin to see pretty clear signs of the campaigns coming out. Will this take long for them to do this? Uh, is this something they can do in a relatively short period of time? How much ahead of April can they do this? Well, I think a lot of it will depend on when the actual uh, vote is going to take place and when the deadline for uh, signing up new members occurs. And then they'll come up with strategic decisions about when they want to announce. Uh, you know, Do you want to be first out of the gate? Uh, do you want to see uh, get a sense of what the field is in terms of pitching what you're going to stand for? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of jockeying and, and strategic thought within the campaigns, and they really want to know what the specific deadlines are and plan backwards from that. So do you think there is a good chance that they may have a new leader before April? Uh, I doubt it will be before April. It may be at the April uh, convention that right. they decide to, to piggyback that, uh, that leadership uh, vote on top of it. But uh, I, I would be hard-pressed to think they'd want to do it beforehand. Again, I mean, because it takes some time to set up the rules uh, for candidates to raise money. Presumably, you want to have a a bit of a, a race so that there's incentive for them to go and reach new new bastions of voters and try to bring them into the Conservative Party. And so, given that there's not an election for you know a number of years from now, it doesn't look like the Bloc or the NDP are ready to go for at least a couple of years. So, you know, they might want to take an extra month or two to get it right. How does this affect business in the minority government? Well, I mean, I think it means that any threat by the Conservatives to pull the plug on the government between, you know, now and the end of the legislative session, so, uh, you know, the budget coming this spring and then, you know, the end of the votes in in June, um, is not credible. So in that sense, it really does mean that the Trudeau Liberals, who already, I think, were pretty confident that the bloc were going to support them through, uh, through the first year, uh, don't even really have to worry about being seen as too close to the bloc because I don't think anyone's expecting to see serious votes to try and bring down the government, even if, you know, on a pro forma basis, a conservative government, as conservative opposition will necessarily vote against any liberal money bill. So uh, we didn't get to who do you think could possibly throw their their hat in the ring here? Well, uh, it's hard to say. (laughs) I mean, you know, does someone like Leah Surayat make another run 
uh, now that she's lost her seat. There's a lot of talk around Peter McKay, but uh, my sense is in some ways he defined the Peter principle when he was a, a, a minister. He didn't really have a lot of achievement. So why his name is so bandied about, I'm not sure. So mm. uh, again, it's Jason Kenney is not very popular in Alberta these days. I don't think it's the moment for him to jump. Uh, does Doug Ford's French lessons means he'll run? There's a lot of different... Wow. That, that, <laughs> that could float around. But uh, What about Ronna Ambrose? Well, I think that would be an interesting choice. Right? I mean, there's a number of, there's a number of people who have uh, some profile without being that well-known by Canadians. Uh, I think the question of those leadership races is, can they convince the Conservative Party that they can grow? Uh, that was a bit Andrew Shear's pitch last time, and it didn't work in his case, but maybe some of the other candidates have different qualities that they, they can put forward. Will we see a kinder, gentler Conservative Party out of this? Potentially. Uh, I mean, I think there's a, there's a tension in any political party, any ideological political party, that to win the leadership you have to play uh, to the ideological base of that party, which is probably not that representative of the Canadian electorate as a whole. So, you know, part of the question is, are you a leader who's able to reassure that base uh, without tying yourself too much to that mast, you know, not giving you the space to then go and speak to Canadians where they're at. Was the tipping point for Andrew Scheer actually losing the election to Justin Trudeau, despite, you know, I mean, minimal success, I guess? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the tipping point was probably not moving forward in places where the Conservatives needed to move forward. So, yeah, losing the election was probably most of it, but if he had shown... Uh, greater breakthroughs in the GTA, had he shown a capacity co- to connect with voters in Ontario and Quebec, you know, which you're, you're talking almost two-thirds of the Canadian population. You know, had he been able to do that, I think he would be in a much more comfortable position, but uh, he really did none of that. He, he moved backwards in Quebec. He didn't move forwards in the GTA. So what was the, the promise of doing better next time? What, does, what sort of message does that send to the Prime Minister, the fact that uh, the guy that didn't beat them has been let go? It is a honeymoon period now for him because there's, you know, there's no leadership within the party. That being said, it, it certainly alludes to the fact that if they had a reasonable candidate, the Prime Minister would have been beaten. Does, does that resonate? Well, I mean, I think uh, the Prime Minister, since the election, has really taken Ontario and Quebec for granted. He's really focused his his issue on pleasing Jason Kenney and Alberta. Uh, A new Conservative Party leader that wasn't so tied to uh, Alberta and maybe was making other appeals about how we could be living better in Ontario and Quebec, uh, you know, will force Trudeau to change his positioning. He'll have to uh, be paying attention to other things if he wants to be re-elected. So I think it's there maybe that a new leader will throw Trudeau a bit off his game because uh, against Sheer, I think Trudeau is pretty confident he could keep getting reelected, mm-hmm. uh, by, especially if, by playing this national unity thing and uh, suspecting that Ontarians and Quebecers would line up behind the Canadian Prime Minister if there was ever a confrontation with Alberta. Peter Grabb has been with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thank you so much for the time, especially for the change in topic. Much appreciated. You're welcome. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.